You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. On your way there, hopefully you're in Judges 11. i got a picture to show, too, though, from Oliver. I think they stepped out, but Oliver Voigt did two pictures for me. You can ask him what all this means. I won't try to interpret it all. Um, because it's either sometimes it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. I don't think it's that this time. I think it's something else. And uh, maybe it's the battle. We were talking about some battles last weekend. There's one more, Caleb, uh, the other one. Now, I do catch the one in the middle has a frown. So something, I think those are swords. So he, Oliver was catching some battle last week. Kids, I'm thankful for any pictures you turn in. We put them in the front entrance. I'm glad. Hopefully you've got a clipboard with you and follow along, either draw or if you're an older child, take, begin to take notes and work through and what you, what you hear and what images come to mind as we preach through God's Word. So we're glad you're with us to do that. Kids, old uh, and young alike. All right, well that being said, let's come to God's Word, the text where we're at today in Judges 11.29. Let me just read the entire passage for us. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, passed passed on to Mitzpah of Gilead. And from Mitzpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aroer to the neighborhood of Minit, 20 cities, and as far as Abel, Kiramim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mitzpah, And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow." She said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months, that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for Two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Let's pray again. Lord, As we come to your word, once again, thank you, Lord, for it. For all 66 books of encouragement and life that lead us to the word who became flesh, Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we pray as we dive into this section today, would you give us understanding in some hard areas and help us, help me as I communicate to be clear. And Lord, guide us to to even allow this passage where there's difficult things to once again impact our lives for this week for your glory. So Spirit, come work amongst us as we we think on these words, meditate as we worship in the Word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes 5, 2-5 says this, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. You ever vowed something to the Lord or made a vow? If you're married, you should be nodding. Yes, we have. You've come before witnesses you and your husband or your wife, and come before witnesses and made a vow in the presence of these witnesses to have and to hold in sickness and in health till death do us part. It's a vow. I am committed to you for life. That's that's one vow. If you're wondering, have I made a vow? Yeah. We we also might think of the vow of that, that frightened soldier in the foxhole who's really scared about the battle going on. And, the, and there's a vow, you know, Lord, if you do such and such, if you get me out of here, you know, or a tight spot, I'm going to. I found one such story. It's written in a paper by a Nicholas Pellegrino. I'm just using it because it, it, it illustrates what, what I'm thinking of here. He, he talks about a soldier in World War II. Here's what the soldier said. I think he was in the, maybe in the Pacific Islands. He said, I used to pray like the rest. In my foxhole... I guess I made about a million promises and vows to God that if He would somehow get me out of the place alive, I'd join a church and do anything He asked me to. But when we came to Australia, which maybe he was on leave, something like that. When we came to Australia, the young soldier continued, well, you know how we've been carrying on down here. I somehow forgot all my vows and promises. Today we're going to look at Jephthah and this, this vow of Jephthah. And in fact, this vow he actually kept. He did keep his promise. But within this text, questions, hopefully maybe as you're reading it, already arise about what's going on here and what he did. Or did he? Or these questions. So we're going to study the text. I'm going to ask three questions today as we kind of work through here. One, the first one is what does the text say? I'm going to try to be brief, but a brief kind of fly-by overview. Just let's go back through the verses, point out a few pertinent things. What's the text say once again? Just get familiar with the text. That's question one. What does the text say? Always good. Read the text. Come back to the text. Keep coming back. Number two, here's the question. Did Jephthah really vow to sacrifice his daughter? Did he really do that and did he did he carry it out did he really sacrifice his daughter that's question two and then three probably the most important what what's the message then what's what's the mean how do we put this together what 
What does God intend through the human author here? What does He want us to come away with? So just everything out there, this is not an easy passage. And uh, I trust, though, what's awesome is it's August 15th, and all of us are here, and this is the passage we're in. I'm trusting the Lord that this is the place where we need to be today. I love, that's probably why I, lo- I just love going through books. We're here, not because I said, you know, today would be a good day to think about vows. It's, this is where we're at, and I know what God is doing in each of your lives. But listen in, even as we're challenged, for what God would have. So, let's look at this. First, what does the text say? And we come back to verse 29. Look with me again. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead, Manasseh, passed on to Mitzpah of Gilead, and from Mitzpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And here in a passage where we've got some questionable actions by Jephthah, we do see that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. But having the Spirit, and anyone, if you've lived the Christian life for any amount of time, having the Spirit does not necessarily guarantee one is free from sin, at least for this time being, or that we can't go in error. We have the Spirit dwelling in us, and we make errors and sin. One day we'll be glorified, transformed to the Lord, and we won't deal with that, but we do now. So, the Spirit, though, is directing Jephthah. And I think in verse 29, he's directing him really, from what I understand, to be a sort of recruiting trip. I'm, I had a map in there. We don't need to bring it out. It's just in the area, you can work on figuring out some of these places that are mentioned here. But I think he's recruiting. He's assembling an army, maybe in the area, maybe broader than that, but the Spirit is directing Jephthah to gather together an army. Okay, verse 30 and 31, though. And here now we find this conversation, really a statement to the Lord from Jephthah. Look at verse 30, 31. Here it is. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you, will give, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet, we, meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, first of all, in terms of vows, it's not uncommon in Scripture to hear of vows. Jacob makes a vow. Samuel's mom, Hannah, makes a vow. So there's this taking of vows within the Scripture we see. So not necessarily making a vow was a, was a sinful thing. It wasn't a sin. But once made, it, it, it was to be kept. We'll talk about that, but it was to be kept. Listen to Deuteronomy 23. Here's how Deuteronomy 23, and it's verses 21 through 23, puts it. It says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall... He just says, you shall be careful to do what is past your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So vows were not inherently sinful, voluntarily given. But I do want to just question here whether this vow of Jephthah, was it necessary? Did he need to be doing this? 
it, it appears like, and, and I struggle reading it, but it just it appears like he's making some sort of a bargain with God. A, a bit of a foxhole moment. God, if, you're, if you help me, I'm going to give whatever comes out of my house. We'll talk about that, but if, if, there's this if. Now, remember Gideon, he had his ifs. If you really, you know, if this is going to go, if you want me to leave, whatever, make the fleece wet, dry, that sort of thing. There's these if things. Well, Jephthah's if is, it's, it's a pretty risky if. If, if. if you would allow the Ammonites co- come into my hand, then I'll sacrifice whatever's coming out of the house. What about this, whatever comes out of the house or the door? The, in the ESV, you've got whatever. Certain other translations, you might have whoever. You might have dif- different words there. From my study, it seems better to put in the word whoever. Now, you've got that, if, you're, if your eyes can see it in your ESV version, you've got a little one there with a note. It could be whoever. So it, maybe it's, it's, it's better to say, Jephthah's saying, whoever comes out. I don't know if that helps us with his, maybe it narrows it down. Whoever comes out of the house, I'm going to sacrifice. It it seems that Jephthah has some person in mind. And from what I read, maybe, maybe he was thinking of a servant. Obviously, I don't think he was thinking of his daughter, but we're all shouting, he should have, right? What, whoever, Jephthah, who else comes out? I don't think it's animals. They talk about that. Animals don't. Typically, I don't think the dogs back then were like our pets of today that come greet us. I think it's people coming out. Okay, one last thing then in this little passage is that whole idea of a burnt offering, a sacrifice. It it seems that Jephthah means to sacrifice somebody, a person with a, a burnt offering. Now, one commentary, one note says this. In all the over 250 occurrences of the term used here, referring, I think, to this burnt offering, it refers to an actual sacrifice literally burnt on an altar. It is never used figuratively or symbolically. That's helpful. The word here means the word, I think, that we're seeing in the ESV, the burnt offering. However, human sacrifice was prohibited. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 18 says this, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. It's Deuteronomy 18. So, there might be questions swirling, maybe so. Let's just keep going our overview of the text. Keep coming into verse now 32 and 33. So, Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aroer to the neighborhood of Minith, 20 cities, and as far as abel Kiramim, with a great, great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. What I find interesting here in this little section is that, I don't think this is unique here, it just seems like we find that the actual descriptions of the battle, the actual battle and the descriptions are relatively short. We, we might want, hey, is there more details about the battle? It's really short here. So yes, we do see, I mean, don't miss it, the Lord did give them into His hand. The Lord is at work, and the Lord is graciously delivering His people 
through their leader, Jephthah. He is delivering. And so we see that here. But so much more emphasis is on the vow of Jephthah, on this vow. I tried to count it up in, maybe you could count differently, nine out of 12 verses here that we read deal with this vow or the daughter, this idea. For those math people, like 75% of the passage is on the vow. That helps us to go, okay, what, what is the focus here? The battle is here. It's almost like all this leads up, yeah, there was a battle, but there was a vow. And there is a daughter. And there is, look at what's going on. Okay? All right. Well, the narrative takes us back then to Jephthah's homecoming. And it's agonizing. Look at verse 34 through 36 then. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mitzpah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines, with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. As soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. She responds to him. She said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. What agony for Jephthah on a day when he should have come back much rejoicing. Look, the battle has been won. And it's his daughter comes out to meet him. Surprisingly, the daughter, when she realizes her dad made a vow, encourages him, Dad, go for it. You made the vow. Go for it. I mean, talk about submission to your parents. I mean, this, this is her saying, go for it, Dad. We, you saw the Lord. He avenged this sort of thing. But she does have a request, and that takes us to the last part of the passage. So look at her request then as we kind of close our overview at least. So she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, go. And then he sent her away for two months and she departed. She and her companions and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of Two months she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. And it's here, here as we just see, I mean a majority of the last part of this is, is her weeping over her virginity and, and we as foreign readers and just a different culture, we might scratch our heads and, and kind of wonder what's going on. Like, like, wait, you're grieving about virginity. Aren't you grieving about you're gonna, about to die? Like, isn't, what's going on with this? Shouldn't she be worried about the death itself? Well, one commentator says this to help our mindset. The fact, he says, the fact that Jephthah's daughter bore no child was more than a tragedy of a life unfulfilled. And he says in parentheses, an attitude in ancient Israel which stands in contrast with that of modern Western women generally. He says it represented the termination of the clan of Jephthah 
himself since she was his only child. Jephthah had no other children. The line of his family would not continue. It was stopped. And in this culture, that was worthy of great grief. And so these two months of mourning here by this daughter help us realize the weight of what her dad's vow meant to her life. And, and we may not understand all the cultural, what's the nuances, what's going on with this, but we can see it's not a mere night of crying. It's two months worth of grief. And even that, I think even grief is different you know, than, our, than our grief. Our, maybe we tend to just try to keep it short. I think other cultures, there's just longer periods of grief. Okay, so that's kind of our, that's our overview here. That's our first question. What does the text say? Just, okay, we got it in our minds a little bit more. Now, to just tackle the question, did Jephthah really vow to sacrifice his daughter? And then really, along with that, did he carry it out? Did he really do what he said he was going to do? Now, there's one view. You might already kind of guess maybe where I'm coming from, but one view would say, no, he, he didn't burn his daughter. It wasn't a burnt offering. He instead, this was a devotion of his daughter. He devoted her uh, maybe to a life of celibacy, never, to never be married, just a life of virginity, that, that idea, or even devoted her to the, to the service at the tabernacle, something like that, a, a more of devotion. So they would see the grief over her virginity, not... You know, maybe speaking to this life of she would be dedicated and so never bear a child, that, that idea, and they're looking at that kind of grief there. Here's what one resource said with this view. They said, It thus appears that Jephthah's vow to offer as a sacrifice the first person who came out to meet him was a commitment to dedicate that person to the Lord, not to kill him or her. Now, you still got to deal with the burnt offering. They do. They say, well, the burnt offering means, means whole offering, like not burning so much fire, but it was a, it was a, the whole of, of this person was dedicated. And so they conclude in this view, either Jephthah fulfilled his vow, he gave his daughter in service at the tabernacle, or as one place said, I think my ESV study Bible, one view perhaps this perpetual virginity. That, that's a view. And I say there's some good things to consider. I don't think this is a, you know, like, well, that's a liberal, you know, look at it and here's the conservative. I, I don't think it's, I think it's just scholars and everybody going, what do we do with this passage in here? Maybe each of you, how do we, wait, there's this, I thought Jephthah, we were going, he was doing so well, and then there's this, and how do we deal with this? So I don't think it's a debate. It's just, it's challenging. But I'm going to give you here, I've got five of them. Five reasons why I lean, I, and I, I can't even prompt, you know, in five years that I will look back and say, I, I think the same, but I, I think I will, but I don't know. But this, I lean this way. Here's why I think Jephthah actually did sacrifice his daughter. It actually happened. Here's my five. One, the context. Context of the passage, it, it just seems weak for the view that his daughter was simply devoted like to service at a tabernacle. Now, Jephthah's initial vow, it wasn't specific. He, did, you know, he just said, whatever, whoever comes out. If, if he was planning to give this person, like his daughter, in service to the tabernacle in this way, would, would he have not been a little more clear with that? That's perhaps one, just context. Number two, 
his reaction. It, it seems more serious than just a loss of virginity. I mean, maybe it, maybe it was. Maybe he sees that, and that just makes him go, Alas, daughter, you've troubled me. You know, his reaction is just, it's immense. I, it's hard to acknowledge or, or see the seriousness um, if, if Jephthah could go visit his daughter at the tabernacle later. So if, if it's a view that he's just dedicating her to the tabernacle, I know, yes, she's dedicated. Could he go see her? That idea. So, number three, uh, what about Israel's annual, the Jephthah daughter days in Israel, those four days? They, they, seem, they seem more important than just loss of virginity or, or never knowing a man. There, there's four days of lament. It seems odd to have four days of lament if the daughter's still alive serving at the tabernacle. Just a thought there. Um, and maybe my last two are probably the strongest. Number four, simply his sacrifice of his daughter seems to follow what the text says. Verse 31 says he made a burnt offering. Just going to take it as that's what he did. That's what the text says. As hard as it is to reconcile that. Now, that's my last one. It's usually best in translation or I, I think interpretation, the, a rule of thumb, take the harder, take the harder route. It's usually us, we want to make the route look good. I mean, man, it's bad. Let's not keep that story in there. It looks kind of bad. Sacrifice his daughter. I thought he was a leader of Israel, this sort of thing. Usually better take the harder reading. And it's hard to imagine. Here's what's amazing. This guy, this Jephthah, if I'm, you know, if I'm right, whatever, if you're thinking that way, he sacrificed his daughter. You know where we find him again? Hebrews 11, the hall of faith where Jephthah is in Scripture. He's, he makes it to the New Testament. And yet, I think he had sacrificed his daughter. That's where it seems that the text leads us. Now, you're more than welcome to go study that out. Read the, you know, here's, you can basically find whatever commentary you're kind of leaning, you can find that. You know, I think it's this way, and you can find a bunch of them like that. But let's come back, circle, circle back. Last question, sorry. What's our last question here? What is, what is the message? What's going on in this passage? I have a couple thoughts, kind of as we conclude, just, just to look back on the passage. What, can we, what are we learning here? And then hopefully tie it together. What are we Number one, let's, let's hold on to this. Can we trust God when all is not clear? Can we be okay without understanding every part of Scripture? Can we still trust what God has written? Can we be okay with unanswered questions in Scripture? I'm nodding. Yes. Does everything have to make sense? Not everything. God's given us all that we need to make sense of all of His Gospel. We have all we need. We need to trust God for what He's written. Maybe we'll understand it. Maybe... Maybe this is helpful, and then a couple of years we'll read some. Okay, yeah, that really that helps me understand that better, and we grow and we keep studying it. Hopefully, even this isn't the last time you ever read the book of Judges. You come back again. Yeah, we looked at it a couple of years ago, and now, yeah, I see this, and and you grow in your understanding, and to be patient and wait for that. 
but it's hard. I'm not patient. I've got a week, you know, I've got to know. What is it? Well, I lean. Here it is. Okay, so we can trust God. Secondly, let's take away from this. Vows are important. And normally, we should hold them, even to our own harm. Vows are important, and we should normally hold them to our own harm. And I said, normally. Right? Let your yes be yes. Be a man or woman of your word. What you say you'll do, do. As much as it depends on you, hold fast to your vow to your husband or to your wife. Hold fast to what your mouth has vowed. Hold fast to that. Maybe you've made a promise to your kids. Follow through. Maybe you've given your word to your employer. I will do this, then do it. Or you've given your word to employees. I will do this for you. Do it. Follow through on your word. Or in the case of the Lord, if you vowed something to the Lord and it's not a sin to keep it, we'll talk about that. Keep it. Trust God for whatever it's going to cost you. I'm going to, I'm going to give the Lord this amount or I'm going to do this or I'll go here. Then, then if it's not, it doesn't involve sin, go for it and do it and follow the Lord. And in this we mirror. What do we do? We, we, bear, we mirror the image of God who keeps all his promises. But a vow in this case, I think with Jephthah, if this vow was to mean child sacrifice, it was an abomination. He should not have done this. Whether, however he started it, to continue in it was not right. It was sin. So vows ought to be kept, but not when they conclude in sin. One place I read said something to the effect, you, you know, in, in this case, if you vowed something, you realize, well, that's, I'm actually going to sin by keeping that vow. Don't do that. Confess, Lord, I should not have vowed that. That was, it was a sin for me to even say that I would do that. Confess, and then don't continue and go down. Well, I vowed it, so I better sin. I, no, no. Confess your error. Thirdly here, if we're numbering them, thirdly is to think about the influence of the culture on Jephthah and this, this vow to sacrifice his daughter. It, it's hard to know just how much of the surrounding culture and the nations, remember Israel back and forth, serving the other gods, then back to God, serving the other and back and forth. How much did that culture influence this vow of Jephthah? Maybe he saw child sacrifice going on in the nations around him and said, I, I'll take a little bit of that. I, you know, actually, I think that is maybe a way to get our God to ensure that this thing will happen. And so the culture influences, the world influences him. And for us, could there be ways in which the culture, the world around us, begins to penetrate our church, even our own walk with Christ, Absolutely. It can come and infiltrate. And we can begin to normalize and kind of think, well, that's normal. What's not normal and what is sin? And it's just, it's like that slow boil, though. And all of a sudden we go, well, yeah, we're doing that. It's okay. It's not okay. God's Word says it's sin. And yet, just, just even living, it's a danger. for We, we want to live here. We want to be you know, in the world, not of it. We, we're here to, inf- to shine the light of Christ, and yet 
We are influences. What we see, what we read, what we experience. Be on guard with that. But in the end, if, if I were to just attempt to convey the meaning of this text, what is it saying? What's the, what's the bottom line? I would say here that both Jephthah's vow and then his sacrifice coming out of that vow, both were lamentable decisions. I'm kind of borrowing lament from the last line of the passage. It was lamentable, I think, one, that he made the vow, two, that he vowed and then sacrificed his daughter. I'm tentative, but thinking of his vow, it, it seems, again, it just seems like it tilts towards him making a deal with God. A sort of, again, like I said, a foxhole bargain that regrettably he kept. <laughs> Our God is not a God to make deals with and bargain with. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's sovereign over all things. We come under him. We submit to him. And it seemed perhaps Jephthah was in a, a mode of panic. I, I don't know. We just we don't know. But he said this vow. Maybe it was aimed at victory rather than worship of the Lord. It was a lamentable vow offering, whether it be whatever or whoever. I don't think it was necessary. And so we too, we must entrust ourselves to a sovereign God without trying to make deals with God, without bargaining with Him. If you do this, then I'll do this. He says, do this. And we say, you're the Lord. I submit. Okay. That's how it's to go. Not a, not a trying to control him in that way. And then lamentable also, that second part, lamentable vow, lamentable decision to sacrifice his daughter. She honored her father. And it, it, it looks good on, a, on the you know, first glance. It looks good. Yeah, he's... He's keeping his vow. Way to, way to go. No, not the way to go. It shouldn't have taken place. He shouldn't have vowed her. So, vows matter greatly, but we must cease to do that which is sinful, even if we vowed that way. So we see some qualities. There's some qualities of Jephthah we've seen as we've studied him. We'll, we'll finish his life next week in chapter 12. He's a mighty warrior. Last week we saw him just, I mean, we saw him defending Israel against the Ammonites. And, and like I said, in, he's in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. And yet he's still, what do we find? He's, he's corruptible. He, he makes errors. He's not a perfect Savior for Israel. Praise God, there is one. Again, we just keep, we come back to look at Jesus, set your eyes on him the one who promises and follows through. And His promises are good and they're right. In His judgments, everything is perfect all the time. He obeys perfectly. That's our Savior, Jesus. And in fact, it's in Him, all the promises of God, they find their yes in Christ. So for you today, for us gathered here, words matter. Your words matter. Vows matter. Be like Ecclesiastes. Be slow. Right? That, say that. Be slow. Do not be rash. Be slow. Be thoughtful on what you promise. And be on guard for making deals, foxhole bargains with God. Also, be on guard of the world's own influence in your own Christian walk. This is where the body of us believers together can help one another. 
man, brother, you're, it's looking like the world more in your life. And to welcome that. Thank you. And thank you. I didn't see it. Just like, just like I'm told last week, hey, this wasn't right. We don't like to be told, you know, you're going the wrong way. Don't tell me I'm going the wrong way. We need each other. Say the world, it's influencing. Sin seems to be growing in this area. That's why we're together. We're together to worship and to build one another up, encourage one another in the faith. So be encouraged to do that and be on guard about normalizing that which seems right in our culture but is wrong before the Lord. And then should you be caught in sin and find I've made a vow and it's going to end in sin, then confess the sin and once again run to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this passage, for what we can glean from it, for your grace even in a week of study and your grace upon your people gathered this morning. I have no idea what maybe has hit each heart here. I don't need to know, Lord. I just pray for each one of all of us as gathered sheep under our great shepherd, the shepherd, Jesus Christ. Lord, lead us. May we be known for a people that keeps our word, that does what we say we will do. And yet, Lord, lead us not into areas and vows that lead us to sin. Show us where that is the case and lead us out. Lord, protect us against a world and our own sin nature that would grow within us a heart and desire for things that are not of you. And so, Lord, may we we really commit today to coming back under your word. What you say, your promises, in your word, may we do, may we follow through on them by your grace, by your strength at work in us. We thank you for leading us today and tomorrow and to eternity for you who have called our faithful to complete the work of God in us. Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.